Some years ago, we published a small pamphlet, I'm holding it in my hand here, called Spiritual Mosaics, Stories of Faith from the Christ Church Family. It's a collection of 12 short spiritual autobiographies of members of the congregation. It happened to fall out of my bookshelf this, this past week, and I reread the stories, refreshed my memory about the lives of these 12 family members. And what struck me about them was that every story was about change. Some spoke of larger scale change, others smaller, but each observed a process that brought them to a new place or a new understanding. Some described an enlightening, serendipitous moment. Others wrote about a longer journey and surprising outcomes. Lorraine summarized her coming to faith this way. It is a story of personal growth, guided step by step by the rituals of Christ Church. Over time, I was able to hear in harmonic messages just those notes that I was able to understand and temporarily leave the rest. First, I heard about me and let the God part go. Then I heard the parables and found truth in them. Then I accepted God as metaphor. Then I understood the examples of Jesus. And then, finally, I believed that I was a child of God. But then she added this, there's a downside to being a member of Christ Church. We change, and change can be hard. After two years, I quit my job and went back to school, finishing my PhD to become a teacher. Many of my friends in our original connection group quit their jobs as well. We, misfits and soul searchers alike, gather strength at Christ Church and go off to do the important work of learning about ourselves so that we can better love our neighbors as ourselves. The highly regarded author of short stories, Flannery O'Connor, a woman of great faith herself, once reflected that grace changes us and change is painful. She meant God's grace, of course, the eternal mystery, holy love, God's ravishing spirit, that theme runs through much of her writing. Of course, change can also be wonderful, even astonishing and transforming. If that wasn't the case, I suppose I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing. And I don't mean change for change's sake or that everything old is bad and everything new is better or that everything that happens to us is good, but we, we really can't be associated with God's ravishing spirit and not expect something to change. That's logically obvious, isn't it? I mean, to worship the God we see revealed through the life and times of Jesus of Nazareth and expect everything to stay pretty much as it is would be foolish. To expect our lives to follow a rather rigid path that we have meticulously plotted out would seem, at minimum, well defended against the Spirit having her way with us. 
I could say this a bit more directly. If we thought we were worshiping this God of transforming grace and nothing changed in our lives, we're probably worshiping something closer in appearance to what we see in a mirror. That's because Flannery O'Connor is correct. Grace changes us. It's mysterious in the way that Jesus spoke to Nicodemus that unless one is born from above, that's the phrase he used, one cannot truly see or receive the kingdom of God. But if you do see the kingdom, it stands to reason you'll be changed. Your perspective, your point of view, your understanding, your priorities, your knowledge of who you are and where you're headed, all of that will be reshaped. As I flipped through the storybook this past week, I noticed a lot has changed in the lives of these sisters and brothers since its original publication. Some swapped out old careers for new ones. Fred and Helen moved to London and completely recreated their lives. Ruby has had a couple of books of poetry published. John got married and became a father twice over and changed careers. Manuel received his PhD and became a father. Matt entered and finished seminary and still moves towards ordination. Jim did the same thing and serves a church up, up, uh, up the Hudson. He left a career in finance. And wonderful, sassy, irreverent Janet made her final change wrestling, struggling with God every inch of the way before God finally relented and said, okay, you win, granting her reward and taking her home. Since the publishing of this small volume, most of you have wandered in and some stuck around. From my vantage point, change is afoot, has been afoot, still is afoot came quickly. It seems an organic part of our natural lives. And it's so clear that grace changes us. Joyce tells of her decision to reaffirm her faith during the Easter dawn service one year. She wrote, as Easter Sunday approached, I grew more and more anxious to the point where on Easter Sunday, I was visibly trembling. I know that I was trembling because during the service, my son leaned over to me and asked why my hand was shaking. It was as if I understood that something important was about to happen. We came forward in the darkened chapel, surrounded by candles. We knelt, the ministers traced a cross of water on our foreheads and proclaimed us children of God. After this reaffirmation, the Easter message was proclaimed. The lights came on and the great Easter celebration began. But inside me, a change occurred. I couldn't describe it at the time. All I knew was that I felt physically different. It was a feeling that went way down deep and seemed to ground me. Well, and giving the track we're taking this morning, I might describe what happened to Joyce this way. Grace changed her. She anticipated a change was on the way. That's why her hand shook. 
God's spirit was present that morning. And then as she said, inside me, a change occurred. And this change did not occur on an especially momentous, spontaneous occasion. Instead, it happened on a highly planned routine ritual day in which evidently the spirit was active, at least for Joyce. All things considered, it was not a big time event on the face of it. Which is, you know, not unlike that Pentecost we heard about last week. In Jewish tradition, the spring harvest festival of Pentecost came 50 days after Passover. As the story was told, you remember it, the disciples had marched triumphantly into Jerusalem like conquering heroes, and they shared a poignant last meal, followed by Jesus' arrest and crucifixion. Remember their cowardice and crushing sense of loss and defeat, and then the disorienting experience of resurrection. A lot had gone down in those weeks. The disciples were agitated and confused, struggling to make sense of all of these events. Many pilgrims from many lands had crammed into the city for this routine ritual festival, and then grace changed things. We might say the kingdom of God was revealed. God's spirit, spirit ravished the disciples. And I'm thinking that those 50 days must have felt like a spiritual pressure cooker. I bet the disciples' hands were trembling before it all came to pass. I bet they didn't know what had hit them and how it would all turn out. But inside, a change occurred inside them and then inside a whole lot of folks who had gathered for the standard religious observance, but instead got blown around by the spirit wind. They had not planned on that, but the spirit had her way. I think that's what Jesus was trying to tell Nicodemus. Do not be astonished, Nicodemus, that I said to you, you must be born from above. The wind blows where it chooses, and you hear the sound of it, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. We don't know how Nicodemus interpreted this mystical message, but John reports that after the crucifixion, Nicodemus helped prepare Jesus' body for burial. I'm thinking some breath of spirit wind found its way inside of him. Maybe, maybe it dawned on him what being born from above meant after all. Resurrection was just around the corner in any case. Earlier, you heard Paul say this to his friends in Rome. Don't you see that we don't owe this old do-it-yourself life one red cent? There's nothing in it for us, nothing at all. The best thing to do is give it a decent burial and get on with your new life. God's spirit beckons. There are things to do and places to go. This resurrection life you receive from God is not a timid, grave-tending life. It's adventurously expectant, greeting God with a child like, what's next, Papa? And as I was thinking about all of this this week, it just struck me that at the age of 65, 
That question is as relevant as it has ever been. What's next, Papa? Because I am sensing that the spirit is not finished with me yet and likely won't be finished until I draw my last breath. After telling his story of personal confusion in the face of death, Matt put it this way. Grace intervened. At the same time, Christ Church opened and lifted me to God and the spirit, the circumstances of my life shifted dramatically. So much of what I claimed for my identity turned out to be never really mine. This was a house built on sand. Finally, face to face with myself, I began to stop hiding. There was suffering. Through it all, I knew I was watched over and ministered to by the Spirit. An offering of love was extended to me at Christ Church. As space was made for me, I was offered hope. Grace is on the move, friends. It's on the move. The best way to acknowledge that is to open up your hands like this and say, come on. <laughs>